Buddha Blog English Podcast Episode 11 Buddhism in Everyday Life Mindfulness in Daily Life Please also download my app Buddha Blog English from the Apple and Android stores. This podcast is largely funded by its listeners. I would be happy to welcome you as a supporter as well. Thank you to everyone who supports Buddha Blog in their own way. Ananda Especially in early Buddhist teaching discourses, meditation through breathing is emphasized. Probably the most widespread form of meditation today is breath meditation after sitting exercises. In the so-called Ananda Sutra, Ananda, an eminent disciple of the great teacher, asks the Buddha for instruction on the subject of breathing. The sutra has been worked on over the centuries, translated back and forth into all languages. It is the contemplation of breath and the related causes of awakening that are discussed, which has generated controversial approaches. Buddha taught his model disciple Ananda to build up with and through breathing, a contemplation of the body, the sensations, the mind, and the very philosophy of the enlightened one. For the less practiced devotee, a program was developed to achieve concentration on the breath. The increased spectrum of mindfulness brings practitioners even closer to awakening. This is how I have heard most Buddhist teachings and discourses begin. Ananda asked his master how to go about the intense practice. Buddha answered him that the mindfulness of inhalation and exhalation is to be practiced. Through mindfulness, awakening occurs, followed by wisdom and liberation. When breathing out, the seeker practices mindfulness of passing away. When breathing in, he practices mindfulness of arising. Whether the breathing is long or short, the important thing is to experience the bodily formation the great teacher explained while practicing the calming of the bodily limitations. Then comes the moment when the student experiences real joy and happiness while practicing the breathing and sensations, experiencing and calming the mental formations. Subsequently, the mind becomes delighted, concentrated and liberated. This is the case when mindfulness of the mind is developed. Then, while breathing, one contemplates philosophy itself sees impermanence, practices dispassion, sees the passing of all things and living beings, practices complete letting go, approaches the end of all attachments. Thus, the seeker arrives at the four presences of mindfulness through the development of inhalation and exhalation. Thus, the practitioner attains liberation from craving and dissatisfaction. He then attains balance and equanimity through practice. The logical sequence serves to fulfill the seven factors of awakening. 
the development of the four presences of mindfulness. Ananda always kept this teaching of Buddha in mind. The breath is the basis of human existence. Without oxygen, no living being. The practitioner thus becomes fully developed and fulfilled. The path is the goal. Buddha once said, there is a teaching that can bring you to fulfillment through intense practice. Anxiety as a disease. Fear is a basic human emotion, just like joy, lust, anger or love. But is it still a normal feeling, nevertheless, or a mental disturbance? The fear just creeps into the inside of everyone who allows it. In the pack formation, the downward spiral is built in. Are you feeling anxious? You feel cornered right now. These other people, what do you notice about these people? I notice their fear, their terror. They are consumed by fear and totally infected by it. Can only I see it? Why do very few people have an overview of what is going on? Fear is their disease. It sneaks into the hearts, eats the simple souls, destroys peace and quiet. Completely hysterically, they are looking for ways out, but the way is the goal. Shoo away the fear, drive away this bad feeling, otherwise the ugly feeling will spoil you. It will completely destroy you in the end. Fearless people usually make the wrong decisions, they only make things worse, and believe me, Things can always be worse. Fear is a disease. It has been haunting people for centuries and millennia. But it must be mentioned that there always have been high priests of fear. Individuals who exploited fears and fear mechanisms to gain wealth and power. Deeply implemented in human behavior is fear because in the course of evolution our ancestors had to be afraid of so many things. Of the saber-toothed tiger, of war, diseases, hunger, natural disasters, violence and misfortune. Today the causes are mostly insignificant, but the fears as behavioral patterns have remained in the human system. In some people the fears are so strong that they limit the quality of life and make a normal existence almost impossible. Effects such as depression or real disorders, such as panic disorders, obsessive-compulsive disorder or phobias, even schizophrenia and diseases such as post-traumatic stress disorder are the visible consequences. A whole industry of fear mongers has always earned well from the problems of individuals. No matter how, the main thing is profit. From evolution, the body mobilizes all the reserves it can muster from fight or flight when frightened. It is in alarm mode. The heart beats faster, the body trembles and starts to sweat. 
All in all, not a nice feeling, fear is a plague. Once it has taken hold of a society, it doesn't go away so quickly, settling deeper and deeper into the hearts. As always, the journey is the destination. Buddha once said, with faces filled with fear, driven by the fear of punishment and by anxiety. Dying Today I was in the hospital, my mother is there. She got a new roommate today, which I did not know. When I opened the door, I saw the lady immediately. Her really bad condition was with the hands to grasp. She was gasping and whistling with every breath. Her eyes opened in horror, were hard to bear. Her mouth was wide open, wanting to suck up life. I was petrified at the first moment, caught myself and I greeted politely and with effort. When it came further into the room, I saw another lady who, also obvious at first sight, gave all her love and attention to the sick woman. I was again deeply impressed. Visibly touched, I sat down with my mother. Tensely, we started our usual conversation. The situation was on our minds. We whispered to each other, aware of the importance of the moment impressed and meek, our worries were suddenly trivial and small. Probably this conversation with my mother was the best we ever had, without role, without will, aware of transcience. Impressive was the behavior of the second woman, probably a private nurse, who sacrificially patted alternately the feet, the hand and the hair of the seriously ill. My mother and I were deeply impressed by the tangible love that was freely given there. I thought to myself, this is the way to go, this is the way to take love. But the face of this woman, at the moment of the greatest need, I will not forget. It was pure suffering in a form that we rarely see, because we have outsourced the horror to individual professionals whom we then treat and pay badly. Suffering is so abstract because we only ever talk about it theoretically, not wanting to have much to do with growing old. But when we are confronted with such things in one fell swoop, fate falls on our feet. Not to talk about dying, to outsource the matter that is weak, because we know that everything comes as this must come. For my part, I worry a lot about my impermanence, my karma and my energy. That day, in the hospital, I had a great impact on my life. The strong impression that moment had on me, it lasts. Abandon. Also, because the next morning I found out that the woman had passed away during the night. My thoughts were with her. The way is the goal. Buddha once said, Man always looks for refuge to hide in his fear, flees to the protection of a sacred groves, flees to the forests and to the mountains.
Memories. Memories are worth their weight in gold. They are a treasure that many of us guard, that some of us keep in our hearts. According to Buddha, however, our sensations are not real. We should not think the different realities are real, but examine them for their truth content. Memory guilts, so says the popular saying, everything was better then, so says old age. Youth slowly fades into silent monotony. What we feel, that this is always presented in the memory of us better than it was in reality. Our ego is simply a parasite, glutonous and dangerous. Everything is connected, the past, the present, the future. Can you remember your past lives? Or do some things just seem familiar to you, while other incidents do not evoke any associations? There are many memories. In thoughts we can recreate the emotions, feel the way we felt back then, although our cells at that time have probably already been renewed. Every seven years the body remakes all the cells. Nothing is the same as back then. Awful, we can remember exactly. Strange, isn't it? Be that as it may, many of our actions today build on events long past, which then cause us to act according to our judgments, prejudice made at this time. Example, because she or he was severely disappointed in the last relationship, she or he remains a convinced single from then on. The memory of this long-ago relationship clouds the mood to until today, so that no openness can develop. Or, because he or she fell off a bicycle as a child, he or she never even looked at the bicycle again. But also, when she or he lived in the city XYZ at that time as a child, she or he was happy, which is why she or he would like to move there again now. Memories are completely okay. Buddhists also have such reminiscences. But the question is how we as humans deal with such reminiscences. Are we depressed because we lost a loved one or overexcited because we imagine how things will be the same as in our memories? And anyway, if our memories are fading more and more, we can't trust, really trust, the senses either, and the teacher of all teachers advised us, anyway, not to trust sensations without reservation. What could we learn from this for the now, the here and the now? To live a life in memories that is not the here and in the day. Again and again these reminiscences assail us humans. The ego then plays in the old images. We think we hear the voices from times long past. But in reality the music is playing where you are right now. And the way is the goal. Buddha once said, When a concentrated mind is clear, purified without blemish, wrapped from imperfection, directed to memories of past lives.
the water glass. No matter how heavy a glass of water is, if we hold it longer, it will become heavier and heavier. If we hold it for several minutes, then the muscles will cramp. If we hold it for several hours, we will have to let it go at some point. Just like the water glass are our thoughts, which then become heavy for our mind if we hold them too long. Burdensome emotions are like poison to us. If we don't get rid of them quickly, they eat into our system. A glass of water is usually not the burden for us. It is not heavy either. For a short time we can handle it well. By the way we can drink the water and cook or wash with it. But over a longer period of time even a small glass of water would be a burden for us to hold. Your thoughts should not be like water in a glass, but rather like water in a river, or at least in a lake, maybe even like in a sea. Constantly in motion, however, even water in a river is not. In some places it accumulates, at the bottom it can be completely calm, while on the surface it is noisy and fast. Not consciously lingering, but also not compulsively racing, but in a constant change between the states, that would be the ideal state. But what does man do with his sorry ego? He holds the water glass cramped in his hand, doesn't want to throw it away, but keeps rolling the same thoughts over and over again, as if in a trance, he would rather deal with negative things, simply letting go seems too difficult. Your thoughts are like water, if you pick them up, you are not in the now, in the here and in the today, but in the diffuse past, which has passed, which will never come back again, which like a relic from ancient times keeps coming back to the present, but is just history. If you simply let the glass of water stand, it becomes brackish, like an old pond without inflow and outflow. First the fish die in it, then the frogs and the toads leave it, it tilts. Pour out your water again and again. Imagine how you exchange the water inside you, and thus pour out the memories again and again and fervor. We humans consist of almost 80% water. According to various teachings, water even has a memory capacity, can allegedly even be programmed. Anyway, without water no life is possible. We must follow the water. And the way is the goal. Buddha once said, let your mind become still like a pond in the forest. Let it become clear like water flowing from the mountains. Let turbid water become calm, then it will become clear, and let your wandering thoughts and desires become calm. Loneliness The hysterical times are making people increasingly lonely, and digital sound reinforcement is doing the rest. Wherever you look, all heads are stuck above the screens. The media constant sprinkling is the sign of the modern times. 
the beautiful appearance on cell phones, tablets, PCs and on TV. What is told on TV is the new manna, Hosianna. Nobody has the intention to build a wall, people do that nicely by themselves, around themselves, even voluntarily. The trend to be alone started many years ago. The traditional family was no longer chic. Everyone for himself and everyone against everyone. Life out at any price. I am me, me, me. The other is no longer interested. Everyone moved into his apartment. According to Buddha, not even the dirt under our nails belonged to us could let himself go undisturbed and unobserved, get drunk, satisfy himself and then continue to get drunk. The brave new world took hold, long live egoism. Buddha taught that the ego is the cause of our sufferings, the wanting, the wishing, the desiring is the cause of all mischiefs. Due to the worldwide hysteria, the matter was worsened, People have isolated themselves even more, stare even more into the screens, they become lonely, lonely together. In any case, Buddhist philosophy speaks of an illusionary world. According to the teacher of all teachers, we should look behind the scenes, not simply parrot everything unconditionally. What we hear and see, we should question, by no means accept as truth. The modern man sits lonely at the computer, in the background the television runs, he chats parallel on the phone, thousand things at the same time, but none one topic correctly. With consequence and death, better it runs in the background, at least the noise, there one does not feel so lonely, otherwise the life hurts evenly too strongly. In the past, families were together, everyone took care of everyone. Today, people get divorced, making sacrifice for the relationship is completely out of fashion. The self-realization trip is the mantra of the lonely. Everyone sits alone in his or her cage and waits for the person who will free him or her from this life. What a joke, what irony. In the past, Chan masters went to the mountains, as did the founder of the Chan Buddhism, the Indian monk Bodhidharma, to take advantage of solitude to find the true Buddha nature. Today modern man wants to isolate himself out of pure egoism. In the past, yes, in the past everything was better, sure. But I like to meet my friends, be with family often, even if the great teacher said that we should not attach. The path is the goal. Buddha once said, free of body and deeply hidden, the mind wanders to distant places, wanders lonely. Who restrains it, breaks all chains. The sky. Heaven is the same for all people, whether young or old, sick or healthy, everyone sees the same heaven. That is how one should think. What is different for each viewer of the sky in any case are the emotions and feelings that arise at the sight of the sky. One person enjoys the spectacle of nature, 
another one grumbles about the cloudiness, yet another one feels nothing. The whole affair passes by him without a trace. With this example you can easily see how simply constructed we humans are, that there are no generally valid rules, nor can there be. Everything is a question of the personal perspective, the chosen filters, the imprinting, the cultural circle, the education, the made experiences. What one observer finds beautiful, that disturbs the person right next to it incredibly. According to the Buddhist philosophy, we should not make any judgments, but we can feel very well. One only divide into good or bad, we should not do that according to Buddha's teaching. Every sky is special, every sight is unique, every piece of the sky is different. But what remains the same for every observer is that the attitude to it comes out of him or her. Not the cloudy sky makes us discontented, no. We are so tuned, all emotions are self-chosen. We decide whether we adjust our perspective or not. I once saw a movie about a mentally handicapped girl who looked at the sky day and night, every possible minute. She was fascinated by the sight. When she could not look up, she was totally unhappy. I was very impressed by this firmness, by that devotion, by the fire that radiated from her eyes. Whoever can feel such enthusiasm for the sky is perhaps already enlightened. When you look at the sky again on the next occasion, then you should try to be a neutral observer to take note of the beauty, to enjoy it, but not to wish for anything. The sky is different every moment, every day, depending on countless factors, but we as Buddhists try to take it to the side with stoic serenity, enjoying the beauty of the moment, resting contentedly in the here and now. Life can change quickly, as can the sky. And we must never forget this. The sky and we, connected in the universe, linked with a silent condition. There was a time when the universe contracted, now it expands. Every moment is infinitely precious, because the way is the goal. Buddha once said, The evil one who reveals the virtuous one is like the man who turns his gaze apart and spits at the sky. His saliva does not pollute the sky, but falls down again and pollutes himself. Free of charge. Do you know the difference between free and for free? I went to the school for free, but for some people the education was completely free. At least that's what you might think. Getting something for free that doesn't really exist. In some form, someone always has to pay, compensate, or say thank you, or show gratitude, provide something in return, show gratitude in one way or another. Someone has always worked for the now free service at some point, contributed, done something for it. Nature holds its fruit, 
ready for us free of charge. But the owner of the land demands compensation for the things created on his property. Perhaps he has also made expenditures for his land and the fruits. For example, bought the land, paid land tax, watered and cared for the bushes and trees, employed people who had to take care of raising, harvesting and transport. Or maybe we move ourselves to the fields, pick our needs, then process everything into our food ourselves. Then, maybe then, the food is free. But we spend our time and energy to then eat or warm ourselves. Our homes, there many people have contributed their life force, from the owner to the architect, from the dealer of building materials to his employees, from the transport company with its employees, the many masons, countless electricians and nameless craftsmen who have delivered their performance. Also with our cars, so many people were involved in the production, suppliers, inventors, engineers, large and small support was necessary to make the success possible. No matter what part we picked up, countless people have had their part in manufacturing and distribution, service and warranty. The movies we watch for free, free of charge, People always want to be paid for their working time. When it comes to work, the subject of livelihood is immediately in the room, which every person has to earn. One cannot live on air and love in the long run. So gladly we take the free opportunities. Without us about the processes behind it also only one thought to make. And the person who have worked and performed for it is appreciated enough? What could be the connections? How do we get to the truth behind it? And do we want that at all? Or is it simply so beautifully comfortable to consume everything unasked? The way is to go. Buddha once said, so that the exodus from houselessness will not be in vain, but useful and fruitful. Did you enjoy the podcast? Thank you for listening to Buddha Blog. Did you notice that there are no ads running here? That you are not inundated with consumer messages? Would you like to thank the author of this blog for his work with a donation? Support me. Contribute to the extensive costs of this publication. Please also download my app Buddha Blog English from the Apple and Android stores. Thank you so much.